We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Hold your Bible high up in the air please with me. Let's make a declaration together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His words. I believe His Word, and I live by His Word. Christ is my Master, and to Him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to encourage you to continue to speak God's Word into your life. Uh, It's not the sermon this morning, but just, just a little reminder here. Continue to speak the word of the Lord in God's word into your life, in the spoken word. When you speak God's word into your life, it's powerful. One of the things that really encourages me, encouraged me, uh, and continues to encourage me to speak the word of God is understanding the power that is there in the words. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, God upholds all things by his powerful word. God upholds. Everything by His powerful words. Everything in this universe is upheld, is kept in place by God's powerful words. So I tell myself, there is enough power in the Word of God to uphold my life. Amen? There is enough power in God's Word to uphold this whole universe, then definitely there's enough power in God's Word to uphold my life, to sustain my life. So with that confidence, speak the word into your life, into your world, because God's word can uphold your world. All right. This morning, we are continuing our study on our spiritual authority. We're going into another chapter, if you will, on our journey into understanding our spiritual authority, our authority in Christ. You know, there are realms of authority that of spiritual authority that we have not ventured even close to. There are realms of spiritual authority than you and I that we haven't yet entered into those realms that are available to us as believers. We haven't even stepped into that. But we're going to talk about it and we're going to say, you know, that is available, that exists. And that is where we are supposed to be living. That is the realm in which we are supposed to be walking in. Just because we are not there does not discount its reality or its possibility. Amen? So we're going to talk about these realms of authority. And when you look at church history, you'll find on occasion men and women who were crossed over these limits and stepped into those realms of authority and demonstrated it in their lives. 
There have been high points in Christian history where men and women would step into these realms and demonstrate that truly as believers, we can walk and operate in those realms. And what we must understand is that these high water, point, high water marks, these high points in life, uh, in Christian experience, are not meant to be isolated events in the lives of individuals. They are really meant to be the normal Christian life. Amen? We're supposed to be there. It's just that, you know, sometimes there are several things that hold us back. And as a body, we're trying to encourage ourselves, saying, look, there is more. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep moving. Because there are greater realms of authority that we are supposed to be walking in. There have been points in history where different men and women of God have actually stepped into that realm. Let us as a body begin to step in, walk in it, and affect our world because of living in that realm. Amen? So that's what we are journeying into. This morning we're going to talk about what we have authority over. Uh, There are four areas that I want to address our authority. Okay, that line there is to represent you, not the devil. Right, so what is that line? Is it the devil or me? It's you, right? You are bold like a? Okay, so see yourself there, right? All right. Authority over demonic powers. What do we have authority over? We have four realm, realms that I want to talk about. We have authority over demonic powers. Uh, we have authority over sickness, disease, and death. Uh, we have authority over circumstances and situations. We have authority over natural elements. So we're going to talk about some of these things. And then before I conclude, there are two more things I want to talk about. We want to, today, we want to talk about the perimeters or the boundaries to our authority. And then we also want to talk about failure. You know, why is it that sometimes we experience failure in the experience of our authority? And uh, how should we respond to failure? You know, all of us have seen failure in the exercise of our spiritual authority. I remember when I was in my early teens, and I started preaching when I was about 13 years old, and also by the time I was 14, I started praying for the sick and was seeing some results. And so, you know, I got this little fame going in the Methodist church. Here's a little boy who prays for the sick people. And so, here was my first invitation to go and pray for somebody in the hospital. And I was like, you know, my early teens, maybe 14, 15. So I felt very important. This was in St. John's Hospital. There was a young man dying from cancer. And somebody said, you know, come. We heard you, you know, you have faith in God. And God's uh, using you, so come pray for this person. So I went, you know, did all the preparation I knew. Went in there, St. John's Hospital. Prayed for this young man. Went into his room. Prayed for him. Two days later, he died. But that didn't cause me to change what I believe. It just taught me that I need to keep pressing further and more in God. Right? So we've all experienced failure. The question is, what should we do? How do we explain failure? How should we respond to failure? And we will talk about that before we close this morning. But let's begin by talking about these realms of authority. What do we have authority over as believers? First, our authority over demonic powers. You know... When we're talking about demonic powers, we've talked a little bit about it last Sunday. We'll talk a little bit more about it this morning. There are two things we must avoid. Avoid demon paranoia. Avoid 
being afraid of devils. Amen? As a believer, you don't need to be afraid of any devil. Didn't hear any amen on that. <laughs> amen. No questions on that. The Bible says that Jesus has given you authority and the devil cannot harm you in any way. So there is no need to have any fear about devils. Amen? And the other thing we must avoid as believers is being demon conscious. You know, sometimes I get so upset with these believers. For everything, there's a devil. If your chair moves, devil. The lights go off, devil. You know, as believers, we are not to be demon conscious. We are to be God conscious. In fact, if you ask me, I don't even bother thinking about the devil. Very rarely. So why are you talking about that? Because I want us to learn. I don't spend all my time saying, oh, there's a devil here, devil there, devil there. No, no, no. It's probably the devil saying, oh, Ashish is there, Ashish is there, Ashish. I can imagine the devil doing that. But I don't do, devil is there, devil is there, devil. No. I'm more conscious of, hey, I'm in God and God is in me. God and I are co-working. We, let's go. Amen. So although we are talking, last Sunday we spent some time talking about demons and so on. And again, we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. I don't want us to live demon conscious. That's not what we are called to live. The reason we talk about this is so that we understand our enemy, understand how he operates, and understand how we counterattack what we need to do. But please don't leave this place being demon conscious. Leave this place being God conscious. Leave this place knowing who you are in Christ, knowing the fact that the devil is underneath your feet, so you don't have to worry, just keep him there. Amen? So talking about our authority over demonic powers, let's look at some verses here, and I'm, I'm going to go quickly through several scriptures because we don't have time necessarily to turn to each one. But just to remind you, if you want to turn in your Bibles, please go ahead and do that. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus said, I, behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. Jesus has given you and me authority to trample, to crush underneath our feet, to have mastery over Serpents and scorpions, meaning all these, uh, all the power of the enemy. And nothing will by any means hurt you is what he said. So you don't have to be afraid of being affected by the devil. Amen? Being hurt by the devil. No. He said nothing will by any means hurt you is what he said. And he's given you and me authority over all of the power of the enemy. Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. It's not only for the evangelists to cast out devils. It's for every believer. Every believer has been given the name of Jesus to cast out devils. It's yours. You have that authority. He gave it to you. In his name. So now, when you want to talk, when you want to talk about a little bit, let's do a little bit of demonology. We have a full course on demonology. 
breaking down, you know, how does the devil operate? Again, we're not doing this to be obsessed with the devil. We're doing this to identify an enemy, that's all. Amen? See, it's good military strategy before you go and drop the bombs to find out where to drop it. Amen? It's good military strategy before you go in to conquer land to know where your enemies are so you shoot correctly. That's all we're doing, okay? This morning as we talk about this. Don't get obsessed with this. Understand it, realize that this is a fact, and then let's use it. Let's make use of the knowledge, the information we have. When we talk about authority or demonic powers, we, 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 talk, we talk about God giving us authority over demonic works, over what the devil does. Several things that the devil does. He brings sickness and disease. Sickness and disease is a work of the devil. Now, there could be some other causes for sickness and disease. Maybe bad diets, lack of exercise, accidents, things not, you know, not taking care of the body. There could be organic reasons. But there is also the reality that a lot of sickness and disease is demonic in origin. There are spirits that cause sickness and disease, afflictions in our bodies. And uh, we must know that God has given us authority over these spirits of infirmity. Or demons that cause sickness and disease. First John chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? To destroy, to undo the works of the devil. So we have been sent like Jesus to undo the works of the devil. Whatever he does, reverse it, undo it. That authority has been given to you as a believer in Jesus to undo the works of the devil. Acts 10 and 38 where it tells us, you know, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Whom did he heal? Those who were oppressed of the devil. So sick people, sickness, not always, but often is an oppression of the devil. And by the anointing of God, by the authority God has given us, we Release those who are oppressed. Set them free from that oppression. There are the works of the devil. He works in circumstances and situations. For example, in the case of Job. Job chapter 2. 1 and 2. Job faced lots of calamities in his life. He lost his possessions. Lost his family. Lost uh, lots of things. Livestock and everything. Lots of calamities. Who was behind it? The Bible is very clear in Job chapter 1 and 2 that it was Satan who went and brought about all that calamity on Job. So you see that the devil and demons and demonic powers can be behind situations and things of that nature that happen in our lives. Now we are not saying that everything, every circumstance, situation you face is because of the devil. But what we are saying is that it is possible that many of the obstacles, the hindrances, the disturbances, the calamities, the tragedies uh, that you face have demonic powers behind it. And it takes the wisdom of God to discern, to differentiate the two and attack and respond correctly. Amen? For example, if somebody is going through financial problems, it could be that there, is, there are demonic powers that are holding money back or that are, uh, uh, that are causing wealth to be withheld from that individual. It could be. But 
Another very possible reason could be they are mismanaging the money they do have. So there is no point in chasing demons of poverty and demons of whatever when the real issue is they need to learn how to manage their money. So you know you have pastor, I've been fasting and praying to cast out this devil of poverty. Nothing is changing. Possible that's not the cause. The cause may be you need to see how much you're spending and how much you're earning. Maybe that's the real reason. Amen? So, understand that you know, when we talk about demons and demonic powers, understand that sometimes it is possible that situations are caused by demonic powers, but then you don't rule out the other possibility. So what should that approach be? Handle, deal with both. Make sure you take care of the natural side of things, things that you are responsible for in the natural. Also take care of the spiritual. Amen. So, there are demonic works in our circumstances, in our situations. There are demonic influences. As we said yesterday, many things we do, the interactivity between the spirit world and the natural world, many things we do, things like dedications, things like sacrifices, things like rituals, things like disciplines, things that we do in our life can open our lives up to either the working of God's spirit or to demonic spirits. So, people can be influenced by demonic powers. People can be oppressed, depressed, held captive, in bondage by demonic spirits. It's possible. The Bible says that unbelievers, their minds are blinded. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Their minds are blinded. The devil deceives and blinds the minds of people to prevent the gospel from getting in. Now, as a Christian... As a believer, as a person who loves God, you and I are not exempt from demonic influence. So what do you mean? It means we must have our helmet of salvation on. We must have on the armor of God to protect us from the wiles of the devil. Amen? I just want to point you to an interesting situation over in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles 21. Here's David, a man who loved God. See what the enemy does. First Chronicles 21 verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel. So Satan wanted to get angry with Israel. Wanted to do something to hurt Israel, the people of God. What did he do? And moved David, provoked David, influenced David to number Israel. Who was David? He was a man after God's own heart. He was a chief summit of Israel, the worship leader of a nation, a prophet, priest, and king. He was an anointed man of God. And yet, Satan was able to get through and influence him to do something that God did not want him to do in order to go against a nation. That's why you need to pray for your pastor. Amen? So you're not chumma saying prayer point, pray for leaders. This is not a chumma thing, this is a serious thing. Amen? Why? Because look, if, if, if the devil wants to disrupt APC, he just has to target one person, two people. Right? Target the leader. Knock him off. Right? You strike the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. And that's exactly what he's trying here. 
I'm saying this because, you know, just because you, you, you're somebody who loves God, David truly loved God with all his heart, but yet Satan was able to influence him. So you and I have to guard ourselves, as believers, guard ourselves from demonic influences. Otherwise, it's, it's possible the enemy tr- will try to influence us from going the wrong way. And so we are not exempt from this. We've got to guard ourselves from this. There is demonic influence in world systems, meaning world systems, meaning things, the systems that are in the world, things like politics and business and family, media, arts, entertainment, music, etc. All these systems also have demonic influence in them. Satan, Luke 4, the Bible says, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, all this I will give to you because it has been given to me. All the kingdoms, the power plays in the world, the power centers in the world. Satan says, I've got control, I've got influence in all these places. So understand, even in the world systems, you're not just dealing with a system, but you're also dealing with a power that's influencing those systems. But God raised up in the Bible, you find God raising up Joseph, he raised up Moses, he raised up Elijah, Elisha, Esther, Jeremiah, Daniel, men who were able to impact the systems of their worlds. And this is our day, it's our time, it's our turn. Amen? The enemy is also able to influence geographic regions, meaning communities, cities, territories. There are demonic influences on on this and the Bible is very clear on it and we're not going to delve much into it, but let me make mention of a few references to this. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13, the Lord Jesus is speaking to to the church in Pergamos. Pergamos is a city, Revelation 2.13. And he says to the church in Pergamos, it's like he's speaking to the church in Bangalore City. He's saying to the church in Pergamos, I am writing telling you, I know where you are. That you are in a place where Satan has his throne and where Satan dwells. Now can you imagine living in a city like that? A city called Pergamos where Jesus is saying Satan has his throne there and Satan is dwelling there. What does it tell us? That there are regions, territories where Satan has established his power centers. There is demonic influence over communities, cities, villages, towns, geographical territories. Daniel 10 talks about the prince of Persia and and also the prince of Israel. The prince of Greek meaning demonic powers over Persia, over Greece. So understand there are demonic influences in these geographical areas. This was a long time ago. I, uh, I went to Manipal to do my engineering. So it's a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I had finished my 12th standard here in Bangalore from Bishop Gordon Boys School, and all on fire for God. Uh, went to Manipal to study my engineering, my bachelor's. And of course, my goal was, I'm going to turn Manipal upside down. <laughs> went in there. Now, first year, you can't do too much because there was this thing called ragging. I don't know if it's still there now. But you have to behave like a little rat, you know. Say yes, sir, to all your seniors. Do whatever they tell you to do. And so the first year, I had to keep low profile, couldn't do anything. But in my second year, uh, there was a Bible study that was going on in a traditional church. And so I joined, to the, I joined the Bible study. I said, go there. 
uh, I started out attending like in the first year, but I was just keeping quiet. Second year, you're free. Now you're, uh, you know, out of the ragging part. <laughs> so in my second year, as part of this Bible study, by the time they, under, they knew that, you know, I knew some of the word of God, so I got permission to teach in the Bible study. So this is my very first series that I was going to do <laughs> in that Bible study. And I called it the battle for the unsaved. The battle for the unsaved. So, part one of the series, I said, you know, unsaved people are, are blinded by Satan, based on 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Part two of the series, therefore, we have to take authority over demonic powers to win the lost. At the end of part two, the leaders in the Bible study came to me. They said, can you please stop this study? People are feeling scared. You're talking about demons. You're talking about spiritual battle. And I was lovingly excommunicated (laughs) from that Bible study. So this was my first awakening to the fact that you can't tell believers everything you know. Because they may have spiritual indigestion. They can't digest all the truth. So you've got to give it, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept. So this was my rude awakening to that reality. And so I had to be very cautious in, you know, what you teach, when, and which level, and so on. So, so I was excommunicated from that fellowship. Uh, so I didn't go back. But then some good things happened as a result. First thing I can remember and it was so very precious because there was one Chinese brother. He was old, much older, much senior from medical college, was a part of that fellowship. He saw all this happening. He saw what happened to me, how I was, you know, they told me we don't want to hear from you anymore and all that stuff. So one day he came, he, he came to my hostel. He said, you know, I want to talk to you. He took me on his bike. He took me to his place where he was staying. He said, you know, I was listening to all this. You seem to have some stuff. Please tell me more about the Holy Spirit. And so, sitting in his room, I shared about the Holy Spirit. He was the first person baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues there in Manipal. So, for me, that was very precious. And then, slowly, more people started opening to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. But the other important thing that happened was, there were some people in that Bible study who received what I was sharing. They came to me, and they said, you know, we heard what you said. We want to start praying for Manipal. So out of all that confusion and my excommunication, we started intense communication with God. <laughs> so this group of five, six people, we used to go to this kind of outside Manipal town. There's a nice, beautiful valley, the hills going down. We used to go to that corner of those hills uh, on, the, on that side. It's called End Point. I don't know if it's still there nowadays, but it used to be called End Point. So every Sunday morning, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., three hours, as a group of believers, there would be like four people, sometimes five, sometimes eight of us maximum. We used to go to Endpoint Sunday morning, sit there, and for three hours, worship, pray, intercede for Manipa. Starting in my second year, we continued it on. There were times we were sitting in pouring rain. If you know how it rains in Manipal, it's not gentle sprinkles. Pouring rain, we'd be sitting on that and praying for Manipal. 
Because we really need, we knew the real battle for the unsaved is a spiritual battle. Because there are demonic influences that are blinding the minds of people, that are oppressing them, that are holding people in bondage, and we have been given the authority to break those things. So we did that. We started doing that. In my third year, the Lord led me to start a Bible fellowship. See, I was thrown out of a Bible fellowship. I don't have any choice now. Go start one. (laughs) So third year, I started a fellowship. We used to call it Believer's Fellowship in those days. And started just teaching the word and people started coming and out. And we continued praying and here this work started. And at that point, we had about 30, 40 people attending that fellowship. The fourth year by the time I was ready to leave. So I handed that fellowship off to a young man named Davis. He was in the medical school and just shared with him the vision. I said, Davis, this work has to grow. One day we want to see hundreds of students coming and worshiping God. And this is what the destiny is. Handed off to him. And I left, you know, I finished fourth year, so I left. Davis took on the work, and here's what happened the next year. Within, within a year and a year and a half since that time, the student fellowship grew to more than 200 people worshiping God in Manipal. This was a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, devil-chasing, Bible-believing student fellowship in Manipal. Amen. Led by student. There was no pastor, no elder, nothing. Student led, student run. And that was it. It was happening. In a place like Manipal was happening. And uh, part of why that happened, we trace it back to the fact that we first engaged an ongoing prayer for that place. Amen? So this is spiritual reality. That in a place like Manipal where nobody cared about God, students were doing drugs and all kinds of things were going on on campus. But in a place like that, you, could have, you had a fellowship of 200 plus young engineers, doctors, lawyers, dentists, dental students coming together, worshiping God in spirit and truth. It took place. Amen? So, what I want to challenge us is this. You know, we are learning about our spiritual authority and demonic influence. In the not-too-distant future, we're going to bring to us as a church congregation a strategy on how to apply this truth for our city. All right, I don't know what to call it, but this is it. You know, Brother Joshua Pele, who comes to our South Church, he brought this to our attention. He does a lot of missions research and all that. So he brought this map to us, the wards, not the hospital wards, BBMP wards, to be accurate, BBMP wards, Bangalore wards. Okay, so Bangalore as a city right now has approximately 180 wards. And it is growing because the city is growing. So he told us it may grow up to about 210 wards or something. All right. So he gave us this idea. And so now we're trying to tie this in and present, develop a strategy and we present it to us at the right time. But I'm giving you a preview of it. What we want to do is, see, because we're learning about our spiritual authority, we got to use it, Right. What we want to do is go ward by ward. Every ward in our city has its own spiritual atmosphere, its own spiritual influence. And if we as a church can strategize correctly and say, look, I live in Koramangla, so this is my ward. I live in Indranagar. I live in Bansankri. I live in Jainagar. 
whatever. So this is the ward I belong to. This is a defined ward, area. And because we know the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people, people, those of us in that ward will say, okay, I'm gonna, we are going to come together and do what happened in Manipal. We are going to pray for our wards. And we're going to describe the strategy to you very clearly. And we're going to engage in prayer. We're going to use our spiritual authority for our wards. Amen? And then we're going to win souls. We'll give you the strategy. And we're going to disciple people. If we can do ward by ward, we can take our entire city. Amen? I want to see our teens and 20s. I want to see our young people lead the charge in the wards. Amen? But anyway, just, just to put this out there, we'll come back to it with a clear strategy towards the end of our series on spiritual authority. But we got to translate these things that we're learning into what we want to accomplish as the kingdom of God, which is to see souls saved and our city transformed. Amen? Let's just move on further here. There are other areas of demonic influence, as we mentioned last Sunday. There are demonic habitations where there could be areas, homes, buildings that have been dedicated knowingly or unknowingly to, and therefore have become habitations of evil spirits. There could be objects and artifacts that are vehicles of demonic power. In uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, God tells His people, don't bring those idols, don't bring those gold, silver used by those uh, for those purposes, don't bring them into your home, lest you also be accursed by it or with it. So we have to be careful because there could be objects and artifacts influenced by this. We have authority over the occult expressions like curses and witchcraft and sorcery. You know, don't be afraid of these things. People may try to do spells and curses and all that. You've got authority to cancel those, the power of that curse and that witchcraft and whatever is spoken. You've got authority to cancel it. There could be demonic uh, authority and influence over uh, organizations and institutions and we've got authority over it. Also, just to mention here, another area of demonic working is in the doctrines of demons. In false cults, Paul warned us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. He said, in the latter days, the Holy Spirit is telling us that there will be these doctrines of demons which will seduce people and lead people astray. That means there are teaching ideas, philosophies that are demonically energized, empowered. And you have to be careful against these things. So many false cults, organizations are formed around these doctrines of demons. And we've got authority over the spirit behind the, those doctrines. And also the Bible talks about messengers of Satan, meaning human agents who are empowered by Satan and his demons who can work wonders and do miracles as well. In Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 12, you have an example when Paul goes to speak to this governor. There is this man of a man named Bar-Jesus, a sorcerer, who tries to oppose what Paul is speaking. And people feared him, but Paul disrupted what that man was doing. And there are many other scriptural references to this. So understand that however the form, whatever form of demonic expression that you might find in our city, you've got authority over it. Amen? Don't need to fear any of this. 
We recognize they are there. But don't have to be afraid of them. The second area I want to just go into quickly is on our authority over sickness, disease, and death. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 1, 7, and 8. Matthew 10, verses 1, 7, and 8. When Jesus had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So he called his 12 disciples. He said, I'm giving you authority to heal to, over unclean spirits to cast out these spirits and to heal every sickness and every disease. I'm giving you authority. And then in verse 7, Matthew 10, he says, As you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is here. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. What did he tell them? He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He gave them this command. Now some people will say, well, why are you telling us about it? Because that was only spoken to the 12 apostles. Why are you telling us about it? It's not for us. Well, it was not only for the 12 apostles because later on in Luke the 10th chapter, Jesus called another 70 and he gave them the same commission. He said, you go, heal the sick, cast out devils. So it wasn't only for the 12. And it wasn't only for them. Some people say, well, it was for Jesus' day. It's not for our day. We call them cessationalists. They believe all the supernatural was only for they, their, that time, not for our time. But what did Jesus command his disciples? He said in Matthew 28, he said, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And what else? Teach them to observe or to do everything that I have commanded. Whatever I've commanded you, I want you to pass it on to all those other disciples. There was never a time Jesus revoked this command to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He never revoked it. He only commanded its continuity. So if anything, you and I must believe that we too are commanded by the Lord Jesus, the original command, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Amen? So we have been given this authority to use this, to heal the sick. And, and the whole objective of this is to bring heaven in our realm and to, so that people's lives can be touched, blessed, saved, and delivered. Amen? Now when you look at church history, you find men and women who've walked in that realm, but they actually did this on large scale of healing the sick and casting out devils and raising the dead. There are many of them that you could look at in church history. One of them is John G. Lake, 1870 to 1935. It's amazing life that he lived. John G. Lake was born in Ontario, Canada, moved into the United States, settled in Chicago, was a real estate person. Some of you in real estate got a good role model. And he was very prosperous, doing well. In fact, for his time, he was extremely wealthy, extremely successful. He was doing very well in real estate. But here's what happened in his life. He was born in a family of 16. Anybody coming close? <laughs> so, 
out of 16 brothers and sisters that he had, eight of them died at an early age. He saw eight of those brothers and sisters die. And going through all of this, you know, uh, it really affected him. And during that time, there was this man of God named John Alexander Dowie who established Zion City in Illinois. Um, and he, God was using him greatly in healing and miracles and so on. So John G. Lake began to go to that man of God, see his ministry, work with him a little bit. And two very significant things happened. One, John, uh, Lake's own, one of his sisters died. And Lake did not want to let his sister go. So he telephoned, I mean, he, he contacted like, uh, Dovey and said, my sister is dead, but I want you to pray and I know she will live. Dovey sent a message back saying, I am praying she will live. And his sister came back to life. The second thing that happened in his life was his own wife, his first wife, Penny, was at the point of death. And this time he said, I will not let her die. And he saw her healed. So with these significant things happening, he devoted his entire life to the healing ministry. And he and his wife left the United States in 1907. He was baptized in the Holy Ghost and so on. And in 1907, they left as missionaries to South Africa. And here's the amazing thing. In five years, from 1907 to 1912, in five years, they saw more than 200 churches raised up. They raised up more than 1,200 local missionaries who would go out, preach the gospel, heal the sick. They saw more than 100,000 healings take place in their ministry. In this biography, Lake records this. In 1910, there was a plague in the part of South Africa where they were ministering. And this plague spread like wildfire and people by hundreds were dying. And Lake and his team of ministers, local ministers, were going and serving these people. You know, taking care of them, helping them, doing all this stuff. But none of them were being affected. So the doctors in that place were wondering, how is this possible? Because they're going and helping all these victims, I mean, these diseased people, but it's not affecting them. And so the doctors came to Lake and said, what's happening? So John G. Lake, this is what's recorded in his biography. This is what he said. He said, you know, I believe that I am full of God... And when any sickness touches me, the sickness must die. So he challenged the doctors. Now, I am not telling you to do this. I'm only telling what he did. He challenged the doctor. He said, you go bring that disease from that sick person. Put it under your microscope and see what what do you see. So they did that. They saw these bacteria, whatever they recognized. He said, now take it and put it on my hand. And now look at it. And they observed the germs dying when placed on his hands. Again, please do not do this. (laughs) What I'm telling you is that John T. Lake was one of those examples of a man who stepped into that realm of authority where he believed that he was so full of God that if the sickness touched him, the sickness had to die. And those realms are available for us. 
after this amazing time of five years in South Africa, he went back to Spokane, Washington, and he set up what was called as the healing rooms, people just coming to receive healing. And uh, the result of those healing rooms was phenomenal. Newspapers recorded that Spokane now had the lowest mortality rate in all of United States. And there were more than 100,000 documented miraculous healings through the healing rooms. If God, who was no respecter of persons, could raise up a man like John G. Lake, why can't God raise up a man and a woman like you and me? The question is, will we pursue? Will we press in? And my desire is for us as a church to say we will journey in it to, into it together. My desire is not for one person, not for just to be one person in that realm. My desire is to take an army of people into that realm. So that we together can impact our city, our nation, and nations of the world. Amen? The other realms of our authority has to do with authority over circumstances and situations and authority over natural elements. I just club these two together. In John 14 verse 12, Jesus said, He who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. And greater works because I go to the Father. Jesus not only healed the sick and cast out devils, but he also walked in authority over circumstances, situations, and natural elements. When there was a great need, multitudes waiting for food, he took five loaves and two fish. He took that little amount of food and blessed and multiplied and fed them. When there was a storm in the middle of a sea, he rose up, commanded it to cease. And he said, what I do, you will also do. Amen? Believest thou this? Let me try modern English. Do you believe this? Oh, guys, you don't read King James Bible, I guess. (laughs) He said we will do the works he did and greater works, which includes authority or circumstances, situations, and natural elements. Amen? It's there for us and we must walk in it. Now, As we understand these realms of authority, let me just talk about the boundaries, the perimeters of our spiritual authority and why do we face failure and how to respond to failure. As we and I pursue to walk in these realms of authority in which we must and which we will, we must keep in mind there are boundaries to this authority. In Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56, you have an interesting passage. The 12 disciples of Jesus, you know, they've been with him for a while now. He's authorized them to go heal the sick, cast the devils, do the works he did. And they're all ex- experiencing this wonderful thing. They come to this village where Jesus and his t- disciples come there and they're rejected. They're sent out, not welcomed to that village. So James and John, they want to do the spiritual authority thing. They come to Jesus and say, Lord, these people don't know who we are. We are the mighty men of God. They are sending us out of the village 
So shall we use our authority and call fire down from heaven? They didn't do it in those words, but that was what they wanted to do. Shall we use our authority and call fire from heaven? Wipe the mouths. What did Jesus, how did he respond? He said, that's not what this authority is for. He said, you do not know what kind of people you're supposed to be. This is not what authority is meant for. He rebuked them. Amen? So the point is, we do not use the, our God-given authority to suit our whims and fancies or to promote ourselves or to show people how great we are. Amen? That's not what the purpose of this authority is for. We do not use it for destructive ends. We use it to serve people so that they can experience the kingdom of God. So here are are the perimeters, the boundaries of our authority. We cannot oppose God's plan for the human race. We can't use our authority to tell Jesus when to come. We can't use our authority to dictate the plans and purposes of God. It's not there. Not allowed. We cannot violate God's written words. If this is in the word, we cannot violate the word of God. We, we live by the, by the boundaries set for us in the word. Now there are things that God will do that are not necessarily described in the word per se. But there are boundaries set for us in the word which we must not, cannot violate. Number three, we must be aligned to the mind of God in a particular situation. So what do you mean? Jesus walked on water a few times. The rest of the times he took the boat. Amen. He did take the boat. Jesus did multiply loaves and fish a couple of times. But he did not open a miracle bakery. That says there is free fruit, come and take. Jesus did turn water into wine. He didn't start a brewery. (laughs) Jesus did heal the sick. But he did not randomly go and heal everyone who was sick. He healed all who came to him in faith. But he did not heal all who were in Israel. It's a difference. There were many times he walked into the temple in Jerusalem. And there was a man who was laying for 40 years. And he never got healed in the ministry of Jesus. Peter and John, walking the same path a little later, brought healing to that man. Jesus went by the pool of Bethesda, where many sick people were lying. But he went to one man and said, will thou be made whole? It is God's will for everyone to be saved. But your responsibility is to speak the gospel to those whom he sends you to. You don't stop every person on the street corner and say, get saved, get saved, get saved. It is God's will for every sick person to be healed, for every demon-possessed person to be delivered. But that does not mean you go to Baptist hospital today and try to empty it out. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Jesus said this. He said, I do whatever I see the Father do. Meaning, 
understand the mind of God. We know the will of God. God's will is for every person to be healed, every person to be delivered. But then you don't misuse it. You don't step out of the mind of God in doing what you have to do as an individual. If somebody called me and said, Pastor, I'm going to go and pray for somebody. Called me to come and pray for them. Can I go pray for them? My answer will be, yes, go. But if somebody called me and said, Pastor, today I heard, I came to all people's church. The preacher there was saying, I have authority over devils and disease. So I'm going now to Baptist Hospital. I'm going to empty that hospital. My question will be, did God speak to you to do that? See, we cannot be presumptuous in the use of our authority. Are you with me? If God is setting you up and sending you, brings a person into your life, crossing your path, yes, by all means, step out, extend. But we cannot be presumptuous. Jesus raised the dead in Jerusalem or in, in his air in Galilee. Jesus raised the dead. That does not mean people stopped dying. Amen? It doesn't mean that three years nobody died in Jerusalem. That's so when God commands us to go raise it, we do it. Lord speaks a word, you go do it. But doesn't mean we go stand next to every, I mean, stand every cemetery every time they bring the dead to send them back alive. You don't do that. That would be presumptuous. Out of bounds for the exercise of our authority. So it's important to know what God is leading you to do. It is God's will for every person to be saved. Go to the people he sends you, share the gospel with them. It is God's will for every sick person to be healed, every demon-possessed person to be oppressed. No questions asked, but go minister to those whom God is sending you to. Amen? Another area, another boundary to our spiritual authorities, we cannot control a manipulate another person's will. Somebody doesn't want to get healed, you can't force them to get healed. Somebody doesn't want to get delivered, you can't force them to get delivered. God respects human will. So you can't operate against people's will. However good your intention might be. And lastly, we cannot force a gift or a work of God into a heart of unbelief. You can't force it into somebody. Some people like the condition they are in because they've got comfortable to it. You can't go in there and force them to believe. So there are boundaries to this. Are you with me? Now let's talk about failure and then we'll close. Why is it that we experience failure. I've experienced many failures. Not everybody I've prayed for God healed. Not every, person, every situation I spoke to changed. Um, no. Why do we face failures? In Matthew 17, and how do you respond to it? In Matthew 17, here's this example where the disciples of Jesus faced failure. Here's a man who brought his demon-possessed boy to the disciples of Jesus, and they couldn't do anything about it. So the, the Lord Jesus comes on the scene and the man says, Master, I brought my son to your disciples so they could not cast him out. Can you do something? And Jesus says, Oh, faithless and wicked generation, bring him to me. He casts the devil out. The boy is set free and the father goes home happy. The disciples are all wondering, Hmm. Waiting for a chance, you know. So after the crowd goes away, they come to Jesus. Jesus, can you please tell us why could we not cast it out? I mean, why did we fail? And that's a genuine question, a good question to ask. We must ask that question of ourselves. I mean, God, why did I fail in that particular situation? What went wrong? So that I can learn and I can grow. 
So they came and said, Lord, why could we not cast? I mean, what went wrong? We, we saw success in all the other places. But here, why, could we, why didn't we see success? And the response Jesus gives to us is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we experience failure. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, because of your unbelief. So it is possible that we've had success other times, but at this moment, we are in a point of unbelief. He said, because of your unbelief. For verily I said, he says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can tell the mountain to move, it will move. So uh, you, know, you, need, you, need, you need to be in faith. And he continued. He said, however, this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. The root cause is unbelief. Your prayer and fasting is going to help deal with unbelief. And it's going to give you what you need to deal with these kinds of demonic powers. But notice, Jesus never fasted or prayed in that situation. Meaning he was always ready. And that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. How to be always ready. In exercising our authority, there is preparation and action. Preparation is for us to be always ready. Ever ready battery. Always ready. And then you move into action. Okay? So Jesus was always ready. He came in the situation. He didn't fast nor pray. He dealt with it. For his disciples, he said, listen, you got to do something. Deal with their unbelief through prayer and fasting. It's going to help you overcome. Now, here are some other reasons that I'm going to list out. And then I'm going to talk to us about the right, the right way, our right response to when we face failure. Some, here are some possible reasons. And again, I say possible reasons because not every failure is due to all these reasons. Okay? So, sometimes we see failure because we don't know the mind of God. Accurately. God may want to deal with that situation a little differently and we are pushing down the wrong path. Sometimes it could be a lack of faith like we saw in Matthew 17, 20. Sometimes it could be because of sin, unknown or unconfessed. And that acts as a roadblock to the flow of God's healing and deliverance. Sometimes it's unbroken dedications, pledges and allegiances. So here we're dealing, we want to, we want to set this person free. But the person still wants to maintain an allegiance, a pledge they made. Sometimes they still continue to wear it, wearing things on their bodies that are actually dedicated to demonic powers. And therefore, because they're continuing to wear it, it continues to give access in the, to work in that person's life. So you need to severe those ties. You need to break those allegiances and pledges. So how, what do you do? When you're ministering to a person, whether you know it or not, you just say, in the name of Jesus. And I do this often. If I sense it's a demonic thing, I do this. In the name of Jesus, if there are any pledges, any dedications made in this person's life to demonic powers, I cancel it. So you do that. So that you break those dedications. They may not know it, you may not know it, because it could have been done in a previous generation. But when you're praying, you cancel it. So you're clearing up the road to bring healing and deliverance to that person. Sometimes we are dealing with a symptom instead of the root cause. The symptom may be high blood pressure. The root cause may not be a spirit of infirmity. So you're saying, come out, you spirit of high blood pressure, and whatever. Not changing. The root cause may be too much salt in the food. So instead of casting the devil out, cast the salt out. Amen? Deal with the root cause. So, you know, understand that not every problem is because of a devil. 
If it's demonic, you're dealing with it. But sometimes it may not be demonic. So you've got to understand and deal with the right, the root cause to bring about change in that situation. So the best thing to do is to deal, as I said earlier, to deal with both the natural and the spiritual. Don't isolate the natural. It could have an impact on, on what's going on. So deal with both when you're ministering. To people, deal with the root cause. Sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals to you the root cause. Deal with it. Another reason why you don't see failure is because sometimes we don't close all entry points after ministry. It's like, you know, you cast the devils out and persons delivered, but the doors are still open. What happens? Sometimes Jesus said, you know, it gets worse. The devil comes back with reinforcements to occupy those territory because they haven't closed the doors. You know, suppose you have a problem with the rats in your home. You can use a rat trap, catch a rat, throw it out. Next day, rat trap, catch it, throw it out. Third day, catch a rat, throw it out. And the rats keep coming. It's like, Pastor, this is not working. (laughs) Okay. Now, you want to stop the rats from coming? Get rid of the food, the garbage that's attracting the rats. Close all the entry points and throw out the trash. Amen? So sometimes when you're ministering to people, they are delivered, but then they go back to the garbage. The garbage continues in their lives and things just tend to get worse. So they have not closed the doors, entry points after ministry. And so we, we, it looks like we have failed. When really the reason is not that you have failed, but they have, fa- they have not closed those entry points. Amen? So understand that we've got to deal with these things here. Now, what is a proper response to failure? So when you face failure, when I face failure... I try to minister to somebody, they don't get healed. I try to minister to somebody, they, you know, things get worse or circumstances doesn't change. How should I respond to this? Here's what I want to present to us. Number one, the first good, the right way to respond. Do not speculate. We don't have all the answers. Please don't do that. Don't say he didn't have enough faith. He had sin. He was this witchcraft. Don't point fingers. If you want an answer, you go personally get your answer from God. But don't point your fingers at other people. Because the best thing you're doing is speculating. You don't necessarily know everything that's going on in the realm of the Spirit. Amen? You say, but how can I live with unanswered questions? You know, the interesting thing is this. In the Christian life, you have to learn to live with unanswered questions. So no. I'm an intellectual. I need all the answers. You're not going to have all the answers. Why? Because the secret things belong to God and the things that are revealed belong to us. So there are secret things you won't know anything about. And second, you've got to be willing to live with unanswered questions if you want to experience the peace of God. Because the peace that God gives is a peace that is beyond our understanding. If you want to understand it all, you can't have the peace of God. But if you're willing to live beyond your understanding, where you say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I want your peace, then you will experience the peace of God. Because it's a peace that is beyond understanding. 
So get used to living with unanswered questions. Somebody asks me, why didn't that person get healed? Why didn't they say, look, that is not my responsibility to answer that question. I will not put my, point my fingers at anyone. Let's move on. Don't speculate. Second thing. Accidents do not discredit possibilities. Just because you drive with an L on your car and you crash into somebody doesn't mean you're never going to learn to drive. Amen? Just means keep trying. And soon you're going to drive like the rest of us. Break all the rules. (laughs) Crisscross. Drive on top. Drive under. Do whatever. But still survive. You're going to learn how to do that. Don't worry. (laughs) Just because there are accidents, it does not discredit the possibility that you can drive. The same thing in the realm of the spirit. Just because we face accidents doesn't discredit the possibility that we can come into a realm where we can heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out devils. Number three. When we face failures, understand that experience can change, truth cannot. So when you face failure, don't try to change the truth to explain your experience, rather try to elevate your experience to match the truth. Amen. Don't try to change the truth to explain your experience. Raise your experience to the level of the truth. The truth says, in my name, you will cast out devils. The truth says, in my name, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Let's raise our experience to the level of the truth. Don't bring the truth down to the level of your experience. Amen? Then you say, but what is truth? Answer is very simple. Jesus Christ is truth. That brings us to the fourth point. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Bill Johnson makes a statement. I like it. So then what theology should I believe? Jesus Christ. He is perfect theology. Don't believe the Baptist theology. Don't believe the Methodist. Don't believe the Charismatic. Don't believe the Pentecostal. Believe Jesus. He is perfect theology. Everything he did demonstrated the word of God because he was word in flesh. What did he do? He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. That is absolute perfect theology. And all of us are called to be like him. You're not called to be a Methodist. You're not called to be a Baptist. You're not called to be a Pentecostal. You're not called to be charismatic. You're called to be like Jesus Christ. He is perfect theology. So we must strive to be like him. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He walked in authority and dominion. And he said we can do it. So let's pursue. He is perfect theology. So it leaves us with only one option. How do we respond? Keep pressing in. That's the only option we have when we face failure. Saying, look, I know I face failure. I don't have the answer. I can't explain this. But Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He is my model. I'm going to press on to be like him. I'm going to press on. Till I walk in that same kind of authority and dominion and power that Jesus walked in. Because he said, the works he did, we will also do. 
and greater works. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Understand God has given us authority, realms of authority that you and I can walk in. Next Sunday, we'll talk about our preparation. And then as we move on, we'll talk about how to exercise this authority, how to use it to see results in our lives and to minister to people and so on. And, uh, and towards, that, towards the end of the series, we'll talk about you know, how can we apply this truth in our life as a church and in our taking of the city and, and what we want to see happen in the city of Bangalore. So we're just kind of building towards something. So stay with this. You know, I like what Spurgeon, one of our staff, he said, he said, he sent me an email. He said, Pastor, I don't just put up the MP3 on the website for others to listen. But every MP3, I listen to it many times again during the week. Until what you have preached on Sunday soaks into me. I'm like, I like that. Amen. So go take the MP3 that Spurgeon puts up. Listen to this over and over again. I listen to my own preaching many times because I need to hear the things I've spoken to you. Just need to be reminded, reminded over it. You know? Because it's the word of God, it's not about the preacher. It's a truth that we live by. So I want to encourage you to take this, let it soak. Let's move in to those realms of authority that we're, we're supposed to be walking in. I want you to take a moment to pray you please just take a few moments and say God I want to walk in this let it be a communion between you and the Lord right now saying Lord I want to be one of those people who will walk in this truth I know the journey may be long the journey may be hard but I want to press in the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force I want to be one of those men and women who will do this, Lord. Use me, Lord. Just express your heart to the Lord in your own way. This is for you. Father, we just pray that you'll raise up a generation yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. of men and women who learn to walk in our authority yes. and for whom walking in authority is a normal way of living. Yes, Lord. Yes. That we will walk as Jesus walked. When we face demonic powers, when we face adverse circumstances and situations, we will respond the way Jesus responded. Make us all, help us all to be like that. To walk triumphant lives, victorious lives, with the authority that you have given to us. Help us, O oh God, we pray. We thank you, O oh God. We bless you in Jesus' name. We just pray, Lord, that you will do miracles, healings, mighty deliverances, O oh God. Amongst us and through us and for your glory, Father. Use each one here wonders take place in our city. We thank you and we bless you. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people, yet the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory will be seen. 
upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Go walk in your authority. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.